Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Oh man, so let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Can we do that? 1 Peter chapter 5, we're getting down to the very end of the book. Can I remind everybody that this book is written by an apostle? Actually, that we understood that he was crucified upside down for his faith in Christ because he was not willing to be crucified in the same way that his Savior was crucified. But here's a man who paid the price to follow Christ, but he's writing to a group of people that are paying the price to be a follower of Christ. So let me remind everybody who this book is being written to. It's written to the scattered church. Why are they scattered? We read in the book of Acts that at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the church, that after he was stoned, that a great persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem. So we understand that people began the loss, experiencing the loss of everything because they would not break their confession that they followed Jesus. And we have to understand how difficult that was. It wasn't an established faith at the time. There weren't churches around the world to, to prove that something had been going on for 2,000 years. There weren't systems and structures in place. They just depended completely upon the power of God. And it was a powerful church, and yet there was a great price to pay for all of that. So let's just um, read the last section of the book that we've been studying, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 6. So here's what it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Having cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares about you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you and all who are in Christ. Let's pray the Lord's blessing on his word today. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord, written by the Holy Spirit. I thank you that the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to the word that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, I pray for every believer in this room that they would, that they would be an example of the faith. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity for, to live for you in a world, Lord God, that doesn't recognize you. Such a privilege and honor, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Holy Spirit, you're always welcome here. Amen. He said that there is a suffering that's being accomplished by your brothers and sisters around the world. 
Probably never in my lifetime have I seen global movements, even in Western civilization that was impacted by Christianity, of an anti-Christ movement. Even this last week, you were able to hear stories coming out of Malta, stories coming out of Greece, where if you carry a biblical worldview, there's a price to pay. Could be an economic price, right? It could be um, an, an opportunity that gets shut down to you. But here's what the scripture says, that you are privileged, you and I, to be a part of a movement that our brothers and sisters together, we're all faithfully pressing forward to be who God calls us to be. Not only is it a global movement right now, but it's a 2,000-year-old movement of men and women who are following the Lord, no matter what the cost might be. If you remember where we ended last week, here's what it says, and this is scripture verse was part of our text. You younger men, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I like that verse here that Peter uses because it's a Peter that, it's a word that's actually described in a story that Peter's involved in. It's that word to clothe yourself in humility. It's the same word that was used in John chapter 13, where it says Jesus was in the upper room before he was being betrayed, or even while he was being betrayed. It's a story about Jesus knowing that he's a few days from the cross, and it uses the same word there. It says that he gird himself, or he wrapped a towel around his waist. That picture, the visual of Jesus wrapping a towel around his waist is the same word used by Peter when he says, clothe yourself with humility. Wrap yourself in the towel of the service of humility. It's an amazing word right there. And so he talks, to, he says, I want to talk to the young men. Watch your ego. And as a man who's just been around a few decades, I'll tell you, I look back at the faith and also the mindset of a young man that I knew years ago myself, and you realize how much ego is wrapped up in all of your intentions and even in your service to the Lord. Though well-intended, there was a lot of ego in it. And there's nothing, you know what, you know what humbles us more than anything else in this life? Living. You live, you get humbled. Or you grow old and grow bitter. But the Bible says this, that we're to walk in humility towards one another because it actually says, and it's a military word, that God is opposed to the proud. It's like a military resistance. In other words, Pride and God cannot share the same space. But God can only use humility in our lives. That we would walk humbly before the Lord. God will oppose us otherwise. If you think about Adam and Eve, they were perfect, living in a perfect garden. So what did Satan have to do? He had to appeal to ego. And he comes to Eve, a woman who had never sinned. And he says to her, oh, God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day that you eat it, you will, uh, you will be like God. And so she begins to understand, hey, I might have an opportunity to have a better sense of self, not 
in my identification with God, but in identification with myself. So we realize that even a perfect being can be brought down by appealing to that ego. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. But the Lord has told us that we're to walk and gird ourselves the way Jesus did. Now let me read for you, can I, in, in John chapter 13, about when Jesus took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Here's what it said. Concerning Jesus, knowing, this is what he knew, that the Father had handed all things over to him. Anything he's going to have that was important to him, all of it, all of it came from his Father. And then it says he knew another thing. It says that he knew that he had come forth from God and that he knew that he was going back to God. If we could establish that mindset in us, and the Bible says have this mindset in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. First off, we have to understand this. The only things that matter concerning the all that's in our life, we have to know that all that we have comes <clears throat> from the hand of God. Everything. There's some things I can use my natural hands to try to get, but those are temporal, temporal things. But the Bible says in this passage, but we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, not what my hands can accomplish, but what the hand of God can accomplish for me. Jesus, the Son of God, knew. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that all that he had had come from God. What journey does God have you on and what journey does he have me on? To, the, to not just the, the, the flippant recitation of a scripture verse and, and say, oh, without him we can do nothing. Uh, no, it's not that. It's the full conviction that without him we can do nothing. I mean, not even a little thing. I can't even do a little thing for God. I can't do the smallest thing in my pastoral experience that things and understanding that I have acquired, if I begin to depend upon what I've learned on the journey, then I'm not walking in the path of humility. The path of humility is complete dependency upon God the Father. So Jesus would spend himself all day long, but then he would go alone with God the Father, and there, out of that humility of prayer and dependency upon God, he understood everything he could possibly give away he had to get from God, and he couldn't draw from himself. That's why when he would heal someone, he'd say, don't tell anybody who healed you. Why? You just say, you know what, isn't he after a mission? Don't we want the story to get out of our testimony? No, no, Jesus just understood this, is that I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to do anything. It's not about the works of my hands. It's about revealing God the Father. It doesn't matter whether the crowds reject me or not. It's all about God the Father, that everything out of my life comes out of complete dependency upon him. I know one thing. I came from God, and I'm going back to God, and God is the only one that matters Amen. at the end of the day. Yes. God is it. God's opinion of me is all that matters. So Jesus got up from supper, he laid his outer garment aside, and he took a towel and tied it around him. Then he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a the towel which he had tied around himself. And he came to Simon Peter, the writer of the book we're studying, and he said to him, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, you are washing my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, 
What I am doing, you do not realize now, but you will understand later. Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you're washing my feet? And, and you, know what the, you know what the root of that question was? It's rooted in his pride. Because it's pride that says I'm not worthy to receive from God. Doesn't that, that sounds odd, right? But it's pride that says I haven't earned from God something that when he gives it to me, I deserved it. It's this whole thing like Peter had to learn something that, that pride says I can, I can accomplish something and I can position myself so that God can do something for me and I could be able to receive it and not feel condemned. But in the middle of all of that, he says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, you have to realize something, Peter, something you're going to understand later. When was Peter going to have to understand this later? Well, I'll tell you when. When he was having to write a letter to the Christians of Jerusalem that were being scattered around the world. Jesus said, someday, Peter, you're going to understand complete dependency upon me. And the idea that I am not worthy to do what God has called me to do is rooted not in humility, but the root of it is ego. And Jesus had to deal with it. <clears throat> Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. And so Peter said, wash my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. So here's what the Lord is telling Peter. Peter, listen, you have to understand something. You are completely clean. And I want to say that to anybody here in this room this morning. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of the cross, if you say anything to Jesus that would suggest that you are not worthy of him doing something for you, Jesus would say to you, you need to understand something. I have positioned you and cleaned you to receive from me. And any other thought or mindset will rob you of all that I intend for you. You have to know you are completely clean by the word that I have spoken unto you. And what is the word that he has spoken unto us? The promise that if we believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. Yes. Yes. Saved. If I would just learn that it's false humility when I declare unworthiness to receive from the hand of God. And so then he washed their feet and he took his garments and he reclined at the table and he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are correct for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. How could the Savior of the world maintain his dignity, how could he maintain the visual structures that humans build between each other 
that he was the best in the room because he was the best in the room. But looking like the best in the room didn't matter to Jesus because he knew that all that he had had come from the Father and he came from the Father and was going back to the Father. All that mattered to Jesus was the Father. And so it tells us, First Peter says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. See, we humble ourselves under what? The mighty hand of God. That God is the one who is able. God is the only one who is able. It's so tempting, isn't it, after we've lived this Christian life for a while, for me, pastoring for 30 years, and to just get up there. And, and what is the temptation? To draw on the same resources of experience that I've had for 30 years. And God says, that's pride and it's ego, ego and I can't bless it. Everything must remain in complete dependency upon God. All comes from God. I humble myself, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt us at the proper time. Now that just seems like uh, it's confusing <laughs> because if you humble yourself before God, he'll exalt you. Well, if I'm trying to be humble, I don't want to be exalted. Therefore, why would I even get involved in this process? But the bottom line is this, if you're created in the image of God, there is a place, a position, an establishment that is rooted in the heart of God before he made the world. And it's in you, and it's beating in your heart as well. An unbeliever lives in this life only trying to dull it from the greater and more eternal issues. But if you are a lover of Jesus Christ and you've truly met him, you want God to exalt you. And we're not talking about the, in the eyes of men, but we're talking about in the kingdom of God. I want to be known in the kingdom of God. I want to be known. I want to walk the streets of gold that knowing that during that short season of my life where I could decide whether I was going to follow him or not follow him, that I could say like something if we could aspire to it, like the Apostle Paul could say, I have finished my course and I kept the faith. If I could live my life like Jesus in such a way that the world doesn't understand my stepping to the beat of a different drum, that I could face the humiliation of a rigged trial, if I could face the humility of being stripped naked, of being slapped in the face, of being crucified upon the cross, if I could live in the humility of being buried in a borrowed tomb and then rising again and having to fix the hearts of my disciples because they all deserted me and then to be raised up and to realize that Jesus was faithful to the humiliating process of this world so that at the proper time God would highly exalt him. And the Bible says concerning him that because of his willingness to be obedient to death, even a death on a cross, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. Listen, listen to me, believer, in the kingdom of God, you should aspire to do something great for God. But the Lord says in this world, you have to be willing to be humbled to be exalted in the kingdom of God. And you know what? Sometimes a little glimpse of that exaltation could happen in this life, but ultimately we live for the one to whom we go back to. And there he rewards us. 
Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Know how God is able on your behalf. Don't humble yourself under your own weak mind and weak hands. Don't define yourself only by what your weak hands can accomplish. Define yourself by what the mighty hand of God can accomplish if you learn to be, depend upon him. Jesus taught us that the way up is down. He said in Matthew 10, 38, the one who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it, but the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. We want to be men and women, and this persecuted group of believers needed to be men and women who learned how to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. When you've lost everything as they had lost everything, the Lord just says, but listen, in this world you lost everything, but in the kingdom of God, I've got an exaltation for you. Therefore... Be men and women who say and are convinced that without God, we can do nothing. I can't be the Christian father without the help of God. I can't be the Christian husband without the help of God. I can't be the pastor of the church without the help of God. I cannot be a member of the body of Christ without the help of God. I cannot be a man or a woman who lives in this world without the help of God. I can do nothing. It doesn't say that there's only little that I can do. It says there's nothing that I can do. He's the one to whom I'm accountable. I'll answer to him. And the thing about this is that what God's called you and me to do, it's bigger than us. If you and I will get hold of the God who can accomplish anything, we can live in God without limitation. Here is what we understand, is that there's something that God has for you that is so big, even you can't sabotage it. Even you can't hold it back. The whole thing is this, is that God would say, keep yourself positioned in humility and dependency upon God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. What does sanctify mean? It means to set you apart as being unique to God. It's the process by which he makes us holy. And it says this, may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will do it. Here we find the Apostle Paul saying this, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that in this world you'll be set apart from this world. And I'm telling you how else I'm praying for you. I'm praying that in the areas of your weaknesses, your spirit and your soul and body, that God would keep you in the process of his perfecting. And then it says this, that faithful is he who calls you, who will also bring it to pass. I won't bring it to pass. This world won't bring it to pass. The devil's working against it. And only God will bring it to pass. But the amazing thing is this, is that the Apostle Paul let us know, God's working on us while we're accomplishing his call upon our lives. The, your in, your in, <clears throat> inadequacies, 
don't disqualify you. You're disqualified by, you're, you're qualified by Christ. And if God has called you, and you and I remain humble before him, he will bring it to pass. Everything you and I are believing for. Some of those are the dreams of a young person that was filled with ego. And a lifetime of the humbling process of God has brought us to the point where God says, finally, you're praying the way I've wanted you to pray the entire time. Finally, you're coming to me and saying, God, I'm at the end of myself. Amen. And there's nothing I can do anymore. And I'm completely dependent upon you to where the anthem that we sing is, I can do all things through Christ Amen. who gives me strength. Yes. It says that we cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. And just ruminating on this passage this week, thinking about this, it's like we, I began to realize that fear is rooted in pride. Fear is rooted in pride. Most of our fears are related to the idea that this could make me look really bad. I'm a Christian and I believe in God. But these circumstances and the things that are happening in my life I don't know if I can get through this thing. And you hear in that conversation going on in your head, that huge I. What can I do? Can I navigate this? Can I make it work? Am I limited by the places in my body, soul, or spirit that are not yet fully sanctified to Christ? Fear is rooted in the I of me. And what can I accomplish? And can I make this happen? And can I survive? Fear is about what I can accomplish. But faith is about what God can accomplish. This is why you and I, when we go to that place of, am I worthy to receive from the hand of the Lord? Fear says, am I worthy? But faith says, is God worthy? Fear says, can I do this? But faith says, can God do this? Amen. And it has nothing to do with ourselves. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. I'm smart enough to know that in this room that some of us are feeling tremendous anxiety today. You've got agita going on in your stomach and you don't know, you feel as though You've been outwitted. You feel as though someone has gotten the upper hand. I, I just love what the psalmist said in Psalm 89, verse 20. He said, concerning David, I found David my servant with my, my holy oil. I've anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him and the wit the wicked shall not humble him. Here's what I understand about my fear. Fear doesn't understand that the strong arm, the psalm says, 
the arm of God is the arm that's going to strengthen me. It's the arm of God that's going to get me through this. It's not my arm. It's not my mind. It's not my wits. It's the strength of God that's going to get me through this thing. And understanding that it's the strength of God, he just says that I found my David, my servant David, and I anointed him, and I established him with my arm. And then it says this, the enemy shall not outwit me him, and the wicked shall not humble him. Here's what I've begun to understand. For every believer, this is the message today. We have a choice to be either, either humble under the arm of God, or the Bible says in the book of Psalms that we can be humbled under the arm of men. To be humble before God is to just say, God, you are the strength of my life. You are the one that I need. And it results in a confidence before God so that we learn that God will then, when we humble ourselves in prayer, that God will, in his good time, exalt us. And then verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. That word, cast your anxiety on the Lord, it actually is a combination of two words. And it, those two words mean this, to throw away from yourself. In other words, get anxiety away from yourself. It's not like if you picture your anxiety like a yo-yo on a string and you come to God in prayer and you throw the yo-yo at him, but the string is still attached to your finger. To where we feel as though we've given the crux of the issue to God, but we're still connected by our own arm of flesh. Right? And that scripture verse there says, completely cast away from yourself, all your anxiety, because fear is rooted in the idea that I, maybe I can make this happen. And God says, but real faith casts all of its care upon the Lord, knowing what? That God cares for us. What kind of God do we follow? We follow a God who cares for us. He cares about every detail of our lives everything. There is nothing that we're going through that he does not care about. And see, when I look at my sins and inadequacies, I, I just makes me question, God, do you care about me and my current condition? But faith just says this, God cares about me. He died for me. He died on the cross. He's forgiven my sins. I don't need a, a greater proof than that. God is on my side. I give him all my anxiety and all my fear. No strings attached. Matthew 6, 27. Which of you, Jesus said, by worrying can add a single day to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry then. What are we to eat? What are we to drink? What are we to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows you need all. He knows you need all these things. 
Seek first the kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Jesus says, you're living in a world of unbelievers, Gentiles. He said, don't think the way they think. Have nothing to do with it. But know that God knows everything that we need. In our text in verse 8, it says, be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. If you look at those words at the beginning of that verse, it means this, be clear-headed, be watchful, be vigilant, and be on your alert because you have an adversary. Here's what we know, something. The Bible has revealed what our adversary, the devil, is like. He's not bound yet. He's free to roam the world. There's a strategy against me. There's a strategy against my calling. There's a strategy against you and against your calling. And it's intelligent. It's not just some evil that's floating around in the ether. It has nothing to do with that. There is an intelligent desire, Jesus said, for one, to steal and to kill and to destroy to not be alert, to not be sober, to not be aware. If we don't know what our enemy is doing, we will not defeat him. I want to be careful even in the wording of all of that because the truth is this, that, that Peter revealed to us that the devil goes about like a roaring lion. In other words, he operates out of intimidation. I don't know if you've ever been to a zoo or anywhere. Have, maybe you have experienced a lion's roar. Have you ever heard it up close where there might be just some bars between you and that animal? Man, it'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It will vibrate on your chest. It is so intimidating. And the truth is this, is that while you're living in this world, there is the strategic voice of a roaring lion who wants to intimidate us, wants to get us to back down merely because of the loudness of his roar. And the Bible says, don't be ignorant, don't be on the alert. That roar that kept you up all night long was the roar of the roaring lion who wants to cause you to lose a night's sleep so that you're sitting there in fear, lying, laying there in fear all night long, lying there in fear all night long. Also, we understand that he's the one who throughout the day is speaking to our minds and he's roaring. And what's he roaring about? Are you worthy? Is God faithful? Is this your just desserts? <clears throat> He's roaring at you and he can make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. And even though there might be bars between you and him, he could make you back away and sit on the park bench because he intimidated your spirit. And the Bible just has promised us that when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for our sins, it says concerning him, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. The roaring lion in your life has been disarmed. Listen, you're not big enough to keep yourself from God's destiny, nor is the devil big enough to keep God from your destiny. Here's the thing that we need to understand. The only thing that can sabotage the work of God in our life is our own unbelief. And our own lack of willingness to believe in the promises of God. And the righteousness that Christ has given to us. And the Bible says resist him in this passage. And be firm in your faith. 
be strong. We've got to counter the words of the, of the roaring lion with the words of the scriptures and the promises of God. We need to make sure that we do not go around telling everybody about the roar that we're hearing in our lives, but we live in this world declaring the promises of God. That's who we are. We stand firm in our faith, and that word means to actually stand against to stand against the roaring lion. Didn't James chapter 4? You'll see the scriptures repeat themselves over and over again. It says in James 4, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Who is the humble man? It's the man, it's the woman that is completely dependent upon Jesus. And that's it. I came from God. I'm going back to God. And he's the one who gives me everything. And then it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The power of the name of Jesus Christ. The power of the word of God. You're going to find out here in a verse where um, the apostle Peter just says, God is the one who will help you to grow up. I speak to us. When the Lord says, grow up, grow up in your faith, get stronger, build a faith in Christ that is unshakable and immovable. Stand firm, he says, stand firm, stand firm, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. And then he says in verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yes. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It ends up with a, what, what do you want to call this? Uh, benediction. How great is God? That's where Peter lands. Everything in this life should bring us back to God. And he says in the middle of all of this, he says, after you've suffered for a little while, in the light of eternity, man, this is nothing. This is nothing, and I'm not diminishing what you're going through. I'm not doing that at all. But I'm telling you, when we are in heaven for a thousand years and look back, we're going to say, we were in trouble for a little while. We were in trouble for a little while. But the God of grace, what does grace mean? Well, the Apostle Paul said when he was weak, he called out to God for grace. And God said, my grace would be sufficient. He said here in this verse, the God of grace, which is God's equipping, God's empowering, God's ability, is what is going to get us through every step of the way. And I love what he said that God will do, and we'll wrap up with this. He said God will do four things. He's going to perfect you, he'll confirm you, he'll strengthen you, and establish you. And you say, wow, what does all that even mean? If you and I begin to cry out upon the Lord, he said, I'll be involved in your perfecting process of becoming more like Christ. When the roaring lion comes, do you only hear the, the, the roar of the lion, or do you hear... Jesus perfecting process. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to find grace and strength because when I'm weak, there you're strong. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the promises of God are louder than the roar of the lion in my life. 
God, you are the one that's perfecting me. I'm not perfect right now, but Peter wasn't perfect. He got rebuked in the book of Acts, and yet God still used him. I'm not perfect, God, but I am connected to the one who's perfecting me. Then he says the next thing is that God will confirm you. And that, what does that word confirm you? It means that he will declare that you are valid and he will plant your feet on solid ground. Believer, you're not meant to be tossed around with every circumstance that comes your way, feeling always unstable. God wants to confirm you. God wants to plant you so that you're able to stand and not be moved. But then the next word he says, not only will you be able to stand, but that in that position, God is going to strengthen you. And you'll be able to fight these battles. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Pray to the Lord. Be completely dependent upon Him. And God will give you supernatural strength. The God of Samson will come. And He will make you strong. And the final thing He just said, He will establish you. We all talk about wanting to be a part of something that's established, not fly by night. When Christ was faithful to God the Father... He was established in heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God. God exalted him at the proper time. God has the same destiny for you, that you would be an established person, proven. A place where people can even trust that you are right with God. They can trust your path, trust your walk. He'll establish your testimony that Jesus Christ is reliable because the way that you have gone through suffering and persecution and trouble, that is what God has for us. So today, let's agree together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's time for us to be humbly dependent upon God for everything. And then he will exalt us in his good time. Can you say amen? Amen. Nothing is for nothing. It's all to work together for good because you love God. Let's all stand up together. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to set us apart. We humble ourselves today under the mighty hand of God. You said that eternity is in the heart of every person that's in this room. Lord God, there is a sense, because we're created in the image of God, that we long to be exalted in the kingdom. We want to be known among the saints of old. We want to be part of the legend of Jesus Christ and his work upon the earth. We want to accomplish what we're destined to accomplish. We want to fulfill the plan. We've come from you, God. Each person in this room right here, Lord, has come from you. You were, they were a thought in your mind when you created the worlds. They exist because you determined that it was better that they exist than not exist. And I pray, Lord God, that we would learn how to connect to you in dependency like we've never learned before. Help us to be humble before our fellow man. Help us to be humble before you, God.
thank you, Lord. I pray for any individual right here. I'm not going to look around. But if you're in one of those seasons where you feel like you've been facing a roar and it's been really difficult, there are many of your brothers and sisters around the world and in history who have faced those seasons as well. I'm going to, I'm going to pray over you. I, I just ask you to put your hand on your heart. Just put your hand on your heart. And I'm just going to pray that the Lord would strengthen you. Father, you see each, each man and woman with their hand on their heart, Lord God. And I pray that you would come today, Lord God, that you would perfect them. You would confirm them. You would strengthen them and establish them. I pray, Lord God, that they would be strong in their faith. And they would walk, Lord God, through this season with complete and absolute dependency upon you. Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that they would not shake when the lion roars, but that you have told us we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Teach us, Lord God, how to walk with that authority. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there anyone here that's never met Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Just want to give an opportunity. It was years ago that on a Sunday morning, I felt the Holy Spirit just move upon my heart and I knew that my sins weren't washed away. I, didn't, I wasn't saved. I wasn't right with God. I wasn't a child of God. And I was raised in a Christian home, but that doesn't matter. I needed to personally meet Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and receive his forgiveness and salvation. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're right with God, if you feel as though that you live under the guilt of your sin and of your past, we've all been there. All of sin, the Bible says, come short of the glory of God. I want to create an opportunity for you to give your life to Christ this morning. It's not a formula. I just want to be able to lead you to Jesus. If you're here and you've never met him, but today you say, I want to be saved today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. First, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand before the Lord and saying, I want to be included in the closing prayer, giving my heart to Jesus Christ. Then if you lift up your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to invite you to come forward and come here to the altar. And you don't have to say anything or do anything, but... The Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. In this quiet moment, just ask yourself a simple question. Do I know that I know that I'm right with God? Do I know that I'm saved? If you don't know that, here's your opportunity. Just lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer. Is there anyone just saying, today's my day to be saved? I know what it feels like. It feels like jumping off a cliff. It's like stepping out of a boat into the water. But it'll be the best decision you ever made in your life. Just another moment. Is there anyone here you want to give your heart to Jesus? He loves you. He's drawing you. He's calling you. God, you're so good and so faithful. Lord, bless these people. Bless their going out and their coming in. Fill their hearts with joy and with peace. I pray, Heavenly Father, that their light would be bright. 
that they'd live in a dark world, Lord God, but the glory of the Lord would appear upon them. I thank you, God, for being with us this day. Help us to love one another. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for being among us in your name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything today, there's going to be some folks here in the front to pray with you. No matter what the need is, God is faithful and God is able and God loves you. So if you want prayer today, please come forward. Let them pray with you. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.